Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Lionel Galinsky and we are on Zoom and our topic is Finding Meaning in Challenge. A few weeks ago, we tried to be on Zoom together, but we, the Zoom crashed. So this quote came through from Judy Erwick after that. It said, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. So Lionel, <laughs> we are here trying it again today. Welcome. It's so good to have you. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. Good. I see, I see you've got an Isaac Ochberg shirt on. Tell me about that. Uh, in July 2011, the inauguration uh, of the Isaac Ochberg Memorial Park took place at uh, Kibbutz Dalia uh, in the northern part of Israel. And I was fortunate to be one of the attendants there. And of course, um, this is in memorial of Isaac. So I thought it uh, appropriate to wear this shirt today. Uh, Lionel is wearing that yeah. shirt is because his mom um, was an Ochberg uh, um, orphan and his aunt and his uncle. And he's going to tell us a bit about his mom. Tell us a bit about her, please. Well, um, as you know, Isaac's uh, middle name or nickname is Daddy. Daddy Ochberg uh, brought approximately 190 orphans from the Ukraine and Poland to South Africa. In 1921, uh, he got permission from the then President, uh, Prime Minister of uh, South Africa, uh, Jan Smuts, uh, who gave the uh, the others were uh, from Shalom in Poland. She That's was the born in Ukraine, uh, hey. And uh, she came with a brother and a sister. Um, the sister and brother were put in foster homes and my mother was put into the Arcadia Orphanage in Parktown. And the rest were distributed in Cape Town at the Oranja um, Orphanage in Cape Town. And uh, that's where she started at the age of 12 uh, her life in South Africa. Um, she did well, get, she, she did get was married. She was she the oldest of the? Uh, okay. yes, she of was the, the eldest. And her sister Eve was the second and the brother, uh, Harold, um, was third. 
he uh, unfortunately passed away from TB uh, at the age of nine, uh, 26. I'm not sure what year he passed, but my mother and her sister were very close. And um, unfortunately, uh, her sister also passed uh, about 15 years ago. But um, my mother married my father. They got married at the Arcadia Orphanage in 1920. Can we get back to that? We want to hear it, but we'll get back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. I'm back with Lionel Galinsky, and Lionel was telling us about his mom. Lionel, I would actually like to just introduce you a bit. Because Lionel has his own unbelievable story of resilience, courage, determination through many of his own challenges, physical and emotional. He's smiling at me, I might add, but um, his life has demanded much of you, Lionel, and yet you have risen up and faced it head on. Uh, He's a man of uh, he wears a coat of polio survivor as a little boy. We'll, we'll talk about that shortly. He's a racing car driver, a, a Springbok colors for a pilot. Um, in 1966, he flew the Springbok skydiving team, the World Parachute Championships in Leipzig, Germany, East Germany. And you're a father, a partner, a fa- friend, and you're definitely a man of humor. And right now you're also an author because you're writing a book. Does that sound like you, Lionel? That sounds like I'm yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm just amazed. Uh, I, I'm now, just excited about the project that I'm busy with. So, yes. We're going to talk about that shortly. But what I would like to know... You have faced so many challenges yourself in your life and have right. faced head on. Did your mom's courage, was that a, was, was that something in your life that you admired? Uh, well, Sue, quite honestly, mom didn't say much about how she was feeling with my polio. Um, but she was very silent about that but obviously very concerned about my progress uh, and decided in 1951 to look for a second opinion and medical treatment in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but deep down, she was very concerned, uh, obviously like any parent would be, for me and my future. Did she ever talk about being an orphan, about her orphanage days, or leaving her mother when her mother died? Did she ever talk about loss? As I say, Sue, Mom was very silent and, and, and never discussed her life, what well, her first 12 years there, she was still 12, about her family in Poland. Um I didn't know much about her family at all. Um, so when you're writing a book now, where are you getting your information from? 
Well, from the archives mainly uh, about my mother and father. However, most of the book concerns my achievements and all the hurdles that I had to get over. So uh, I, I started the book in 1946 is when I got impacted with those days called um, poliomyelitis or infant type paralysis because it was predominant with infants. But as it so turns out, it wasn't infants and uh, only. So poliomyelitis, now called polio, was um, with teenagers, young adults, uh, and uh, that's where I start my book and, and my schooling and uh, what my, my, the treatment I had in Johannesburg. Gen- those days it was the Johannesburg General Hospital. Uh, for over two years, uh, I was in hospital. And How then old were you at the time? Sorry? How old were you at the time? Uh, Eleven. You were yeah. so young. Wow. Must have been very frightening. Well, you know, um, at that age, I didn't know much about what to expect uh, as far as the treatment was concerned, but it was painful, the type of treatment I had. Uh, and then, as I said, mom took me to uh, the United States in 1951. And that, uh, was, that was also for her. She had to sell her business in order to take you, didn't she? I seem to remember had, you telling me that before. Yeah. She had a ladies' dress shop in the suburb of Mayfair in Johannesburg um, and decided to to sell the uh, dress shop and take me to the United States, which she did. And I remember the orthopedic surgeon's name in New York, Dr. Stevens, and uh, he recommended uh, the Oakland County Hospital which apparently uh, was set up for polio patients. That and was that, in Michigan. Yeah, it, it was in Michigan, Detroit. Mm. And uh, that's where I had my main treatment. Uh, I don't know if you, Sister Kenny, she's an Australian nurse that was famous for introducing hot packs. Hot packs was old army blankets cut in squares that was dunked in boiling water and wrapped around the muscles of the affected muscles, which seemed... Oh, my word, that sounds terrible. We're going to get back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. I am back with Lionel Galinsky, and right now you're going to be listening, Lionel, to a voice message that came through to you from General Smuts's grandson, Philip Bayers. Sue, my cousin, and Mr. Galinsky, good morning to you both. Mr. Galinsky, my name is Philip Bayers, and I am by happenstance of birth a great-grandson of General Jan Smuts, or the Obas, as the family knew him, and it's a 
It is a privilege to meet you, sir, albeit only on cyberspace. Nearly three years ago, I was invited by my dear friend Peter Bailey to visit Israel and deliver some talks on the OBAS on the occasion of the centenary of the Balfour Declaration. It was a glorious visit, a run that I will never forget for many reasons. The people I met and by whom I was hosted are without doubt some of the finest, most graciously generous and compassionate human beings I'm privileged to know and call friends. Jan Smuts was a close friend of Dr. Chaim Weizmann, not least of all with both being confirmed Zionists. Dr. Weizmann even visited the Obas and Omar at their home at Durenkloof in Irene. Professor Richard P. Stevens described the Smuts-Weizmann relationship as, and I quote, perhaps few personal friendships have so influenced the course of political events during the 20th century as the relationship between General Jan Smuts, South Africa's celebrated Prime Minister, and Chaim Weizmann, the charismatic Zionist leader and Israel's first president. During my visit, my hosts went well out of their way to show me as much of the Holy Land as they were able in the time available. I visited the Knesset, the Jewish Agency, the Ammunition Factory Museum, Kibbutz, uh, Kibbutz Ramat Yohanan, which is named for the Obas, and was even fortunate enough to spend a night on Kibbutz Seri Eliyahu by kind invitation of Hayden Bailey. For me, a unique experience. On one occasion, when in the Jordan Valley, I took an altimeter reading of 690 foot below mean sea level, surely the lowest I will ever be. One morning, while waiting in Ranana for a coach to transport us on a tiyul to Ramat Yohanan, a gentleman approached me and told me that his father was one of the Ochberg orphans. For me, a most moving experience. Isaac Ochberg was doubtless an exceptional human being, and he due so very much respect and gratitude. Looking back, my visit to Israel not only favoured me by cementing friendships, it blessed me with wonderful new ones, for which I will be eternally grateful. I have none better than my Israeli friends. It also taught me much about the country the Obas referred to as the Holy Land, and I gained much understanding and appreciation of both the country and the Jewish life, both of which I value immensely. The Obas described himself as a Christian Zionist, and I identify fully with that. I wish you well, sir, and maybe one day meet in person. Good morning to you both. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Lionel Galinsky, and that was Philip Bayers giving a talk, General Smuts' grandson, giving a, a, a short um, message to Lionel, what did that mean to you, Lionel? It means everything to me. I, <laughs> I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Isaac <laughs> And General Smuts. And General Smuts, sure, absolutely. Uh, he's one of my heroes. <laughs> I'm so pleased that Philip sent that through. Thank you so much, Phil. Now, Lionel, before we get back to how you overcame your polio, Let's just finish talking about those very hot pads that were put on you. So it was they were put into boiling water and then over you. Um, yes, Sue, that was the treatment that um, Sister Kenny introduced um, to cut the uh, the army blankets in little squares, dunk it in boiling water, and then put it over the affected part of the muscles. Uh, that were affected by the polio, which actually soothed the um, 
the muscles as well as uh, help the blood circulation, uh, particularly during the winter months. Uh, and and that was and still today, I believe they use the this treatment hot packs. Um, but yes, it, it, it was a little painful in for a minute or two, but it was very um, helpful, and I, I I found it helped me a lot. And obviously, you had tremendous courage yourself because you came back, you overcame that. And then um, you you went on to obviously make yourself do the things that you thought you would never be able to do. How? What? Where did you get that courage from? <laughs> I think it was built in. Uh, it was just sheer determination on my part uh, to achieve what I have achieved. And set out to do it. And one of my mottos or expressions, a popular expression, where there's a will, there's a way. And I was determined to find a way. (laughs) And did your mom and your dad, we haven't mentioned your father, did your dad support you in this and and try and help you to succeed? Uh, Sue, yes, he did what he could. But he was also um, in the South African Army, uh, and um, he was um, posted in Italy and North Africa uh, at the time as well. So uh, it was difficult for him, but of course uh, he did what he could do, and my do mother was Do you walk with a limp um, at all? Yes, uh, I, I do. Um, after about all the survivors, after about 40 or 50 years, developed what and post-polio is um, part of the central nervous system. They call it the CNS system, which is in my book which affects the spinal cord and the brain. And it's um, what happens when you have PPS, it's a degeneration of the muscles or the nerve system which controls the muscles. So I am gradually losing um, the muscles that are affected. They are non-existent. With the result is I'm now walking with crutches to, uh, yeah. But during the earlier years when, before the PPS, I walked with a distinct limp. Uh, and but it, how it did you become wanted. a racing car driver? <laughs> well, during the polio days, my father uh, let me sit behind the steering wheel of the car and try to exercise my muscles um, by um, just uh, sitting. Silent. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, just to um, exercise the pedals, the clutch, the brake, and the accelerator. So it was a case of the movement. And um, he. Um, that's how I sort of felt comfortable behind the wheel of a car. And then I realized 
I must try and drive myself. And in my book, I got my driver's license in at the age of 16. Gosh. Uh, which uh, I'm not sure. If I we were living in my parents and uh, my mother's sister and her husband and chef family were living in Tabazimbi, which is uh, out not far from Rustenburg. Yes. And uh, I learned to drive there, and uh, that's where I started driving. And because and they do well as a racing car driver. I did extremely well. <laughs> but my, my family and uh, my ex-wife's family weren't happy with me racing. That's why I took up flying. So it became a true thing. They said, no, it's dangerous. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it's I don't know which is more dangerous. And so then you took up flying. Um, yes. I mean, really, that's unbelievable courage to, to say, I can do all of this. Uh, yeah, I said I'm going to do it, and I did it. Um, uh, originally, the Department of Civil Aviation didn't want to give me a, a, a license to fly. They maintained that I didn't have enough strength in my legs to maneuver the aircraft both on the ground and on, in the air. And uh, I insisted that the department give me a practical flight test before they uh, refused me a license. So we arranged uh, a flight test at the SWAT Corps military airfield in uh, outside Pretoria, which I passed with flying colors. (laughs) And from then on, I decided I don't only want to be a private pilot, I now want to be a commercial pilot. So I carried on my studies for flying to become a commercial pilot. And I think it took me two years and then I became a commercial pilot. Um, and then you got your Springbok colors. I mean, there's no end to what you've achieved. Exactly. And I got my license in 1962. <clears throat> so I, um, I started an air charter company uh, from Rand Airport and Smuts Airport. Those days it was Smuts. Our license, um, we had a license to operate from Jan Smuts, and I did extremely well there, so so much so that we sold the company because of the license. I had a partner in this um, to South African breweries. I don't know if I'm allowed to advertise yes. them, but South African breweries and Barlow's took over our company and from then on, it was up, up and away. And because of my experience, um, I, um, my brother lived in Israel at the time, and one of the test pilots for Israel aircraft industry, a pilot by the name of Dave Levine, heard that I was in South Africa, and Israel had sold to the uh, to Swaziland, two Israeli built, they call them Aravas. That was the name of the aircraft. 
and they needed a South African pilot to teach the Swazi students. They had four students in Swaziland to fly the Arava. So, of course, I ended up going to Israel for training, and when I was fully uh, qualified to fly and instruct on the Arava, came back to South Africa and lived in Swaziland for four years under contract to the Israeli aircraft industry. And uh, that was uh, in the 80s. 80. Uh, it's quite amazing. You know, Khalil Gibran said, your living is determined not so much by what life brings to you as by the act it happens to you as by the way your mind looks at what happens. I mean, you've got a mind that doesn't accept defeat, that's for sure. Just tell me, um, no, how did you come to um, get your Springbok colors then? For how, Why were you invited as the pilot for the parachute team? Sue, so, uh, um, at that time, I was fortunate in owning two single-engine aircraft. One was based at Grand Airport and the other was based at Baragwanath, the old Baragwanath Airport. Mm-hmm. And what? in order to dilute my payments on the aircraft, I hired it out to the parachute club, both clubs, Transvaal Aviation Club and Johannesburg Light Plane Club at Baragwanath. And they used my aircraft and my services to fly the parachutes. So I was quite experienced in that. And when it came to sending a parachute team or a skydiving team to the World Parachute Championships, I was invited to be the um, South Africa's pilot for that. How exciting. Now, I would like to know a little bit about your personal life were you as a you were met? Uh, I had three um, a, a daughter and two sons, <clears throat> and my two sons uh, now live in New Zealand and unfortunately uh, in july eighty eight um I, I got a call that every parent dreads uh, that I had lost my daughter um, and um, in a car accident. So I um, I now have two. So Hashem. Uh, How old was your daughter? Uh, at the time, she was twenty-four. Oh, my word, how absolutely terrible. How did you get through that, Lionel? Um, Like anybody else who loses a sibling, um, it's, um, I'm not unique. It's it's something that I learned to live with. Uh, I believe that her name was Laureen. I believe that Laureen had served her purpose on earth and Hashem had recalled her. Um, I did feel she's close to you still? Sorry? Do you feel that she is close to oh. you? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh-huh. On many occasions, 
I, I see somebody who resembles her, and I say to Maureen, um, it, it, it triggers off a, a negative reaction uh, when I see somebody that um, looks like her, talks like her. Yes, uh, special occasions, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, they coming up in the high holy days. Uh, she's in my thoughts uh, and mind all counsellor for the um, Compassionate Friends. Compassionate Friends. I just couldn't be. The Compassionate That's amazing, did you? So wow. I, I learned to accept the accident, what happened, and that she's in a better place. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm with Lionel Galinsky. And our t- topic today is finding meaning in challenge. And we have heard from Lionel uh, about his many achievements, which are amazing. And um, Craig, can we use that YouTube shortly? Not right now. Thanks so much. Sorry, uh, because we're on Zoom, we're sort of sending each other's messages. Um, Lionel, um, was Laureen your eldest child? Yes, she was my firstborn. And, and then, uh, the other two uh, are in New Zealand, yes, the two boys. And how often do you get to go to New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask the President of South Africa. <laughs> you might oh, you're right. But yeah. you also told me, that you were female-driven to come back. What did that mean? <laughs> uh, in 1965, um, I decided that, that I would like to retire in New Zealand to be with the two boys. And I went to live in New Zealand um, in 1965. Uh, no, sorry. Um 85, probably. 85, excuse me, yeah. Did and, you, uh, did you get to have a divorce? Were you divorced at that stage? Yes, yes, I was divorced and living in New Zealand. And, uh, Maureen Cohen, who's my partner now, she uh, has family Virginia. in Sydney. And, uh, she knew that I was in New Zealand. And uh, she and her cousin Judy uh, invited me to come and spend a weekend in Sydney. Well done, Jude. <laughs> did, how did you meet? Had you met Maureen before then, obviously? Oh, absolutely. Um, I go back to 1955 um, when I moved to Ferenichen. Uh, Maureen's family were Ferenichenites. Uh, and that's where I actually originally met Maureen. So you and, thought uh, you could escape your destiny by going to New <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So now we go back many years, and uh, her brother and I are still cyberspace friends. He lives in Santa Monica, uh, and, of course, Arnie lives in Edinburgh, uh, but with her elder brother, Gordon. I'm still friendly with from Ferenichen days. Um, 
So and, go back uh, to Judy inviting you to go to Australia. Go to Sydney. And I suggested that Maureen come to New Zealand rather than me go to Sydney. Uh, and she said, <laughs> are you sure? And I said, yes, I am. And I thought she'd come uh, for the weekend. It was a long weekend. I, I don't remember clearly. But uh, she came and stayed for three months. And the rest was history. <laughs> <laughs> did Why did you eventually leave there? I know you say you were female-driven. I can't see you being driven by anybody. you your own <laughs> racing car driver. So well, <laughs> what did that mean? Visa, uh, the female had the power over me to okay. say, she's got four grandchildren in South Africa. Now I've only got one grandchild. So it was four to one. Uh, so the decision was unanimous. Plus, uh, Maureen didn't like the climate of uh, New Zealand. So okay. <laughs> uh, nothing sure. beats the KZN climate uh, here in South Africa. So um, I, I, uh, I came back to South Africa because of so you've actually, you, um, you've lived together for quite a long time, you and Maureen now. That's fantastic. Well done, Maureen. Maureen is actually sitting next to Lionel. <laughs> Hidden, I might add, but she is there. So, and, um, I know Maureen's brother Arnie very well and her sister-in-law Frances. So Maureen, well done for bringing him back. Absolutely. <laughs> We heard your voice. Lionel, what else is it in your book that you want to try and convey? Um, Sue, um, I obviously in the book point out the uh, my life, my schooling, my career, my, the, my jobs, uh, and, and how I progressed. South African Airways didn't want to employ me because of my limp. Their argument was that imagine the passengers of the flight seeing the captain or the pilot walking with a pronounced limp and that they they wouldn't have. In those days, you had a, uh, a staircase. To the, you didn't have tunnels to the aircraft. And uh, that was their excuse, but I um, I eventually got a, a job with Comair, and uh, it, then it was called Commercial Air Services. So um, that was uh, my my dream to be a, an airline pilot, and I achieved that. Uh, see, um, so that was, for your grandchildren. What what would they what would you like them to take from your life into their own lives as strengths your strengths your 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 accomplishments your knowledge of life and your acceptance of loss and gain? Well, you know, uh, what I would like them to accept is that um, you know in, in life. We dealt a, it's like a game of poker. We dealt, we dealt a handful of cards. Some not so good, some good. We make the best of the cards we have in our hand 
and those that aren't so good, we just throw away. But just to have goals, set those goals, and persevere to get to those goals. Um, I've only got one grandchild at the moment, and uh, she's now 18 or 19, I think. Um, and and my sons must just also persevere in life. Um, I mean, uh, Sir Malcolm Campbell um, sorry, uh, conquered Mount Everest only because he had the determination to conquer Mount Everest. Um, so one doesn't, you admire people like that, and that's what I want from my family. Okay, to actually see that you, you've never given up. You've gone on determined to actually achieve your goals. So yeah. now that you are finding that it's becoming more and more difficult to get around, to walk, um, how are you managing emotionally with that? Um, Sue, I, I do have my moments when it does get the better of me. Um, but losing one's independence is very, very stressful. Must be uh, um, You know, if you have to ask somebody to help you put your shoes on, uh, it's terrible. But because you've been fiercely independent, I can hear that. Absolutely. I, I, I made it, you know, uh, we realize each day is a bonus and we must make the best of each day. So to overcome my adversity, I believe it has been my absolute dogged determination to cope with life's vicissities. Uh, perhaps it's because I had no other alternative. Um, I think life, as I said, is like a game of poker. And we dealt our hands and some good and some bad, and we must make the best of the good ones. Um, we'll get yeah. back to you in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Lionel Galinsky. And we've been talking about Lionel's own journey towards overcoming unbelievable challenges and loss. I must admit, Lionel, I do believe that Isaac Ochberg would be incredibly proud that you're one of the descendants of descendants because you have been remarkable. You, you honestly, I look at you and I see you laughing at me and, uh, you know, I, I just see your face filled with, with compassion and love and you have definitely grown through all your own challenges. You were going, you were saying what you actually wanted people to learn from you, your, your family and the message that you want to leave with people. Just go on with that, please. Yes, uh, Sue, you know, I've managed to achieve what I have to get over all these hurdles in my life um, and can only come to the conclusion that it was my determination and strength of character 
and the idea perhaps that when one has one's back to the wall, one cannot go backwards, but only forwards. And uh, my past experiences have made me stronger and wiser person to give me more confidence to tackle every chapter in my life successfully. Um, I, When I came back to South Africa, um, I said to Maureen, I'm not prepared to be a couch potato, so I need to go and work. Well, of course, with my adversity and uh, age, it wasn't easy to find a job in South Africa. So I managed to buy a, um, a car, a vehicle, and get onto the Uber platform. So I Good became... Yeah. Uh, I, I'm an Uber driver. <laughs> still That's so. wonderful. Wow. <laughs> when I'm in Umschlange, remind me to get hold of you. Are you under Lionel Galinsky? I mean, I've got your number. Let's give your number out quickly for anyone who needs... Uh, in German, yes. I, I, I do support the Jewish community and I do bend over backwards for the Jewish community in Durban um, to be their taxi driver. I'm the only Jewish taxi driver in Uber and probably the oldest Uber taxi driver in South Africa. Uh, And uh, I'm proud to tell you, Sue, that I've got one of the highest ratings of all the Uber drivers in KwaZulu-Natal. Well, I'm not, not surprised. <laughs> I've got a rating of 4.9 out of 5. And it, it's, um, it stands me in good stead. I, uh, uh, sure. We're going uh, to have to wrap up, Lionel. Craig is telling me to wrap up. But I must admit, I think with your good partner, Maureen, at your side, you will go on from strength to strength. A good team And well done Maureen For bringing Lionel back to South Africa And I just want to give Lionel's Phone number out It's um, 072-657-5585 I wasn't going to do that But now that you're an Uber driver (laughs) Lionel thank you so much For being on this program we are wrapping up now. I've got one minute. In conclusion, I'd like to say some of us have runways already built for us. But if you don't have one, if you have one, take off and climb to your desired altitude. But if you don't have one, it's your responsibility to pick up a shuttle and build one for yourself and those that follow you. So I built that runway myself. Wonderful. And let's let's pray that everyone in this time of COVID will actually also build their own runways. Thank you, Lionel. Thank you, Maureen, for standing by his side and making sure Zoom's going on. And I will phone you shortly. Thank you so much, Craig and Tabo and Bussi for keeping us on air. Hello, Maureen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, sir. Thank you. And yes, bye.